It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Happy New Year and welcome to another year of Forward Progress as we continue to roll. That's Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. Hope you had a great holiday, brother. I mean, hey, they, man, happy they, New they Year, gave us Jackson. a little pause for the cause. I appreciate <laughs> it. Gave us a little break, man, but Happy New Year. Great to be with you. Uh, as always, uh, a little time of reflection, you know what I mean? As, Absolutely. You know, everybody, we look back on kind of just think about 2021, you know, and it's like from beginning to end and you don't realize, first of all, just this show, pretty much think about right. all the guests that we've had The, you know, we've had singers, musicians, we've had, you know, uh, philanthropists, sure. we've had activists, coaches, <laughs> coaches, it's been great. And then, you know, to start off 2022, man, it's just, uh, just, I'm always excited, you know, when we get a chance to sit down and just talk about, you know, what's on our minds, what's, what's going on in the world and have that conversation, man. So again, 2022, the best of, uh, of forward progress for sure. Looking forward to having a conversation with Jen Fry, an advocate, a speaker, a former coach, a former player yeah. who now travels the nation speaking to athletic departments and others, but primary, primarily NCAA programs uh, about diversity, equality, inclusion, just not in the way they're fully prepared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've already heard great things. I look forward to to having Jen Fry on the program. A little bit later, we'll talk about how the Nets organization is impacting social justice, but we're starting off with the Illa, Chilla, Thrilla, Philadelphia. All right. <laughs> we know it can, it gets rough, man. I got a buddy yeah. of mine that used to work in the market for news and each night the stuff he would send me about what goes down violently in that town, Chicago tends to grab the headlines, Correct. but man, um, the Eagles decided they were going to impact this space uh, in this new year, announcing a program on Tuesday of this week called In Philly Gun Violence. I mean, they're not making it any, not mincing any words. As a part of the campaign, the Eagles Social Justice Fund is contributing over $300,000 in grants to 32 local nonprofits specializing in social justice work. Uh, here's the trigger. And th- this is, I mean, it's what it is and it's terrible. But in 2021, there were 562 homicides in Philadelphia, an increase of nearly 15% from the previous year. And it's a record for that city dating back to at least 1960 when they started tracking this stuff. And there's only one way to march this stuff backwards. We've seen it from metropolis to metropolis. And you've got to get resources and you've got to get these guns and you've got to create trust in these communities and it's and that last thing by the way is the hardest part yeah you know i kind of was doing a little bit of a further dive into it and a lot of these gun violence uh, a lot of these uh things that take place in the city of philadelphia they also they go unsolved that that's another aspect of it you know so it's it's crime it's killing and yet 
the the police can only do so much, you know, because people are just being senseless, don't care, uh, don't care about human life, just move on. And some something has to stop, something has to give. And to watch and see, you know, sort of this initiative from the Philadelphia Eagles. And for me, it was about the breakdown. Jackson, there's a breakdown of where the funds are going. It's not just, hey, let's go dump it into one uh, particular community or let's go partic- let's go put it into one initiative or one coalition. I mean, they listed pretty much uh, <laughs> over, what, 15 to 20 different organizations yeah, saying, 30. hey, yeah, 30, 30, 30, 32, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. They're rolling around. So I think the bigger thing is that, to your point, it's not just one. Like, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take many different organizations. It's going to take reaching out to the to the burbs, to the inner city, to the places that you think probably least don't even need it, but yet you can still find a way. So this is a, an initiative that I'm uh, I'm, I'm truly in. Uh, I'm backing for Philadelphia for the Eagles. This is something I think that all NFL teams should be doing because this isn't just just a Philadelphia thing. This is also no. a countrywide thing. But to see them at the forefront. Um, as the Eagles have their own thing going on, right? This is a football team that has uh, made the playoffs. They feel good about themselves, but now you got to worry about uh, how do you affect your community? And I think this is even better. The thing that's amazing in this data is let's get away from, we know this disproportionately affects underserved communities and those communities tend to be of color. Um, When you have struggle and strife that creates stress, the reaction to that stress uh, tends to be the very worst of us, right? Right. Um, Rodney McLeod, who isn't part of the leadership, uh, the Eagles have kind of, they created this bit of money, but then created these leadership spaces that the players are a part of. The Eagles Social Justice Leadership Council is where McLeod and other players are. But he, he talked about ever since he arrived in 2016, he made Philadelphia's home and he sees all this heartache and this suffering uh, in communities throughout the town. But, but, you know, you're, when you're losing family members and friends and mentors and role models, he was just checking the list, future right. leaders because of gun violence in the streets. Like you said, Kirk, it, it seems thoughtless. It seems mindless. Um, individuals who are engaging in that right. love to try to justify it. Right. Uh but when you step back from it, if you're outside of it and you start to really dissect, uh, particularly when that violence is happening within the community to one another, uh, I'm always at a loss at, at justification at that point. Yeah, I think also too going, I know for me, I was always a guy when I played in the NFL. Um, and for me, I was a little bit different because I got drafted to my hometown team. So I knew that there's always going to be issues and things that I grew up with as, you know, middle school, high school, uh, went away for college, but I came back and, um, having a family who was in uh, law enforcement, you know, police Mm -hmm. enforcement, you knew that there was always going to be challenges. But I think for me, the, the challenges were always that when I went to bed at night, I was a guy who... I was always taught my mom maybe we watch the first 15 minutes of the 10 o'clock news, right? You got to watch the 10 o'clock Love news. It. Cause you got to know, you, you got to watch what's in the, going on, what's in the going, on, right? Just yeah. know what's going on. Right. Yeah. And you know, it, it does hurt when the first 15 minutes of the news is about the violence um, in the community. And you know, this is when I was playing back in 2005, 2006, when I first got back to Oakland, 
And then all of a sudden now you still look at the, some of the cities around the country. That's what the lead in is. It's the violence around our country. And I can see Rodney McLeod, who's a guy who I really respect in, in the NFL, who comes there and says, I got, I got to switch. I got to fix this. How do, how do we help? How do we give kids hope? How do we give kids thoughts? How do we give them a different avenue, a different uh, outlook on life? How precious life is. And I think that's what kind of sits on a lot of players' hearts is that here we are playing in a game, but yet, you know, we're surrounded by the walls of a facility, um, the stands of a, a stadium. Mm-hmm. But yet when we leave out of here, we're we're just we're average Americans. I, I hurt just like you hurt. Like I see the violence and it hurts me just as much. So I think this is kind of sitting on uh, a lot of players hearts and, and to see the owner, Jeffrey Lurie, um, you know, be involved as well and be out front is one of those things, too, that they know that we are very much as an organization involved with this this isn't just something you dump money into a hat like we have to be involved because this is our community this is who we are and if we're not helping out our community we're not doing enough the thing i like about the way the eagles are doing this kirk and i I haven't seen this particular model uh the funds that are part of the eagles social justice fund works through a one-to-one matching program from players to the team the players contribute and then the team matches right on as a former player what talk about the type of ownership you end up having over this uh and and then having the support from the team too yeah i mean this is uh what you want to see because it's it's everybody is buying into it right everybody is understanding and i think you know i I, before honestly jex these conversations or this talk it it really didn't you know you, you you write a check right and you hold the, uh, the the big giant checkup during halftime or at the first quarter of a game. And this is what we're doing for the community. And that's not the case anymore, right? The right. case is now, hey, we're matching. We're going to do more um, because we need it. We we know that there is something going on. And too, it is too much now to turn a blind eye. Where before, I think you could. Oh, just we let the police handle it. Or we, no, no, this is a community thing. This is a team-wide thing. This is a city-wide. This is actually a statewide, a countrywide. And if we started here, if we do what our, if we're doing our best at our own ground level foundation, then it will start to get bigger and bigger. And hopefully we can make change, right? That's what it's all about. You're hoping to make change. No, is this the end all be all? No. But man, we are definitely putting and investing, and you have more people who are matching what we're doing with our funds. That possibly, I mean, that that wasn't wasn't there before in years past. You you brought out and, and tipped your cat to to Jeff Laurie, who owns the Eagles, and he said he's inspired by the players for the way that they've leveraged the Eagles Social Justice Fund this year to address one of the city's most concerning issues, gun violence. He stands with them in their efforts and is grateful for those who have joined the organization to help create a safer, more equitable community for all in Philadelphia to live peacefully. Uh, in addition to the money, Kirk, the Eagles have also created in Philly gunviolence.com to serve as a resource to steer young people uh, to proven and effective help. Uh, the Eagles also vow the site will be aided by a PSA and social media campaign for an end to gun violence. Now here's what I'm, I'm going to be really clear and honest, and I'm, I'm not pushing back on their efforts. Right. This is going to have to be turned toward younger people. If you Correct. think you're going to snatch the folks engaged in violence 
to a website and PS that unfortunately that's going to be have to be dealt with on, on the law enforcement level at that point. But if you right. can steer folks who haven't grabbed a gun yet, right, away from doing it, that's where this stuff will play well. <laughs> uh, it's kind of it's 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 sort of funny, Jax, because you have to utilize what I get most young people find right. first, which is social media. TikTok, Snapchat, <laughs> Facebook, even if the Instagram, wh- wherever the social media outlet is, it has to be facing, right? It has to be forward facing. It has to be something that when you pass, oh, what's that? Oh, Eagles. What is this? Oh, and giving you resources, other things to do than go pick up a gun or the, the violence that surrounds you. So just given just different avenues, different areas, and you mentioned it, it's affecting the youth early on. Right. And if you have your favorite players, the guys who uh, you maybe see every Sunday, you watch on TV when they're speaking, you, you tend to listen, because I remember how powerful that was for me when I used to go to those youth camps and football camps. And, you know, they would say, hey, stay away from say no to drugs and say no to guns and things like that. Or you won't be able to be a football player or a doctor or whatever it may be. You know, I listened. But I think that's been sort of out of touch. And I hope that this is a space that we can really get into. Obviously, it's been difficult with the pandemic over the last couple of years, and we've seen less camps and things like that. So initiatives like this, these full blasts of trying to get the information out to get the information to the young people is honestly where it's at. It's what what what's it's what's needed. It's what's needed to be to have been done. And I think it's gonna be a this is gonna be good for not just the Philadelphia community, but I think maybe can branch out even more to other teams and other parts of the country. It's time for our first break. So let's do it. When we come back, Jen Fry joins us, former athlete, former coach, now buried in with energy and excitement, diversity, equality, and inclusion all over the NCAA and beyond. We'll have that conversation with her when we come back on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Forward Progress continues. It's Morrison. It's Jackson. And we're so happy to have Jen Fry on with us. I was, uh, I had a little pillow talk, Jen, about you. Um, as you were <laughs> in the, 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 the business first of coaching and now in the space of, of preaching to those same ears and mm-hmm. beyond uh, about the importance of uh, diversity uh, and inclusion, as well as equality, by the way. I saw that E in there, by the way. Yes. So... Yes. Mama Jax is a big fan of Jen Fry. Um, and so let's give a little bit of, of background and then you tell us uh, and our listeners your story. Uh, you were a college athlete that said, you know what? I figured it out. I'm never leaving a university. Became a college volleyball coach. I'm telling you, if you're going to coach, <laughs> which is an insane craft to begin with, at least maintain a college campus because of the, the energy and the vibe that comes yes. every time you put your foot on a campus. Um, and then the world changed. And so you changed with it. Um, it's not easy to do. It's easy to say, right? Like I'm going to go impact the world, but you got to step out on faith when you're saying I'm leaving what I know best to do what I know is right. How was that process for you? Ooh, we only have 15 minutes. Oh. <laughs> um, right, right. <laughs> So I was a college D2 college athlete who got into coaching. I was a coach for about 15 years. And the last school I coached at, so I'm from Arizona, my, my uh, majority minority city, five minutes from the Mexican border. I've never been the only one. Volleyball coach is a black woman, track coach is a black male, 
soccer coaches of the TX male. I've never been in that situation. In the last school I was at, at Elon, I started to, we had 300 black students out of 6,000, not athletes, but students. And so I started to pay more attention to their experiences. And it got to be the point where I'm like, while I love volleyball as my vehicle for change, it's now shifting. And this was a year before Colin Kaepernick. And I'll be blunt, had I been there when Colin Kaepernick kneeled, I probably would have been fired. Because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not standing up. I'm kneeling. I'm right. I'm sitting. So I decided to leave. And Jason, when you say jump on faith, baby, I remember I, I told myself, I said, November 1st is our first coaches meeting and of November. And if I don't say I'm leaving, then I'm staying like I, I'm staying. And so I remember sitting there and you know, when you have this thing to say and you're sweating and you're trying to find the time. And so finally, you know, my head coach would always say the same thing at the end, like, okay, any other voices? And I finally was like, I'm resigning. And they look shocked. I look shocked. And was, in the like, meeting. I just literally, I was like, I'm resigning. I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. I just knew I wasn't doing that. My mom was like, what'd you say? And I'm like, I know. Mm-hmm. And so literally I was like, I know I want to do DEI. I don't know what, but I know that this is no longer my vehicle. Mm-hmm. So I left, worked in a diversity office um, temporary for a few months, got a job at Duke. And there I started to, kind of, my friends were like, okay, you're blogging. Why aren't you speaking? I'm like, I don't know. And this was after Colin Kaepernick kneeled. So coaches are just contacting me. What do I do? How do I talk to my administration? I might get fired if my athletes kneel. And so I'm walking them through all this. And I'm like, well, maybe I need to form a, a company that speaks about the issues the way I want to speak about them. Mm-hmm. I don't speak about them su- superficially. I cuss in my webinars. I, I, I wear t-shirts. I show my sleeve. Like I want to be authentic in how I present this information. And what does that look like? I, I've seen people doing it on a superficial. They don't want to step on toes. Mm-hmm. They don't want to lose jobs. And the one thing, Jason, is when I stepped out, I was in a way prepared to lose things. And I was okay with that. Right. I was okay that if you don't want to hire me because I talk about whiteness, okay. I'm probably the best in the business. You'll be back. But I'm okay with people who don't want to hire me because I explicitly talk about the things that explicitly affect our black and brown athletes, coaches, and staff. I am not going to shy away from those topics because black and brown people, when I come in, they trust me to talk about the real shit. They trust me. They trust that I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the bribe, right? I was listening to a podcast about James Baldwin and the gentleman, I think it was Eddie Glad was talking about how people, black people during that time would take the bribe, right? To not be explicit, but to stay in the social circles, to still get paid. And I was okay, right? With the weight being put on me because I knew people at those places I spoke couldn't speak in the honesty that they wanted to because they had families, they had jobs, they were, they could be in harmful situations. So for me, I knew I had to talk about this stuff in explicit ways where afterwards they would say, I appreciate you. Cause you said the things that I could not say and you got wheels turning in ways that I wouldn't be able to. You know, Jen, I think one of the, the situations is that you're so outspoken about it and you have kind of coming to your own to where you feel like, you know what, I, I'm okay with where I'm at. 
there are so many people I feel like who don't want to leave the past and don't want to give up who they are and say, well, I'm just going to stay in this lane or so with maybe a lot of the, did you lose a lot of friends, the backlash, people who have kind of escaped you? How was that part along this journey in getting to where you are now? You know, fascinating enough, I lost some people, but the people I gained, yes. the people I gained were so much better. I went from a, a Pinto to a Ferrari, right? <laughs> and yes, the expectations I had of my friends who were with me, they knew the expectations. They knew that when Jen Fry gives gifts, you're going to get blackity black gifts for your kids. <laughs> you know, one of my friends, Esther, I so I don't have kids. I, I had a cat. So I'm not the babysitting type. Let, let me, you're not going to be like, Jen, you want babysit? That's not me. So Esther adopted two kids and I was there. Um, Esther's Latinx, her husband's white, and the two kids she adopted were white. And Esther, like six months after she adopted these kids, I think they were like six and nine. And she was like, Adam and I want to go to a conference. Can you watch the kids? And I'm like, I mean, I'll, I'll keep them alive. So they, I got hoodwinked, bamboozled, it led astray, if you must. I thought it was going to be for like three weeks. Y'all, they had me watch some kids for a week. Oh, wow. I thought it was three days. It was a week that they had me watch the kids. And I told Esther, I said, these little white kids are going to come back wearing a dashiki, talking about <laughs> Brother Malcolm with a pick. When we we went to a HBCU basketball game, HBCU football game, like we go into stuff. And so I say that and the people that rode with me, they knew that this was the gen fry they were going to get, that these were the topics we were going to talk about. That I was going to push them. They were going to push me. And it actually created a different level for our friendship and our relationship because we can talk about these things that I feel like some Black people with their friends and families, they can't tread on that because they're more worried about losing the friendship. And I was like, you're not my friend if we can't talk about these things. Diversity, equality, mm -hmm. and inclusion, all a part of jenfrytalks.com. Get to the page. Mm -hmm. She told you she's the best. You'll be back if you're scared. I love it. That's <laughs> that should be the, the punchline. You'll be back. Uh, let's take this. There's the show's name is Forward Progress. So we're gonna we're gonna move this forward in the sense of you're speaking to young people, mm -hmm. much different than someone like yourself or Kirk, myself, mm -hmm. uh, senior executive administrators at universities. These young folks have not established themselves. They may have a mm -hmm. wonderful skill set that's got them through college with very low financial responsibility. Mm -hmm. They're trying to find their voice. They're trying to find their platform, their first step into the adult world. What do you tell them about all the things you checked? You checked all these boxes. And I'm struggling with it with my student athletes that, that came from us, you know, where I'm like, man, here are my sons who are in the world uh, who excelled athletically, who helped their family. We didn't need it, but it was nice not to have to pay for school because of their abilities. And now they're starting to present. And they're presenting in unique and different ways. I'm trying to embrace them both, but I am a middle-aged Black man who came from Black folks. I want your haircut. Mm -hmm. I want your eye contact. I want your, you know, all these things that might not be Gen X dynamics. And our youngest is even looking to be an entrepreneur after playing college basketball at FAMU. And he'll look at me with those twists and plaits and go, dad, I'm just in the culture. Mm -hmm. Dad is trying to be mindful and helpful. Mm -hmm. How do you elevate 
folks to know that there is a world out there that sometimes requires a bicultural existence, but maintaining who and what you are at the same time. Yeah, that's a good, you know, good question. I'll never forget when I was at the volleyball convention, probably like three or four years before, um, uh, I remember an AD from a, a power five school came white woman. And I stood up and asked, I, you know, I had, I think my hair was on ponytail, but you could see my tattoos. And I said, what should I do for interviews? And she's like, well, we'll know about your tattoos. So I would say, wear long sleeve shirts and pull your hair back. And your sons and Gen X are going to make decisions about what they want and what they're willing to risk, right? I mean, that's the reality is that I knew um, when I started getting tattoos that there were going to be people who didn't hire me. And I had to be okay with that. I mean, my mom was in her 70s, white woman, right? And I'm starting to get tattoos, sleeves. And she's like, who's going to hire you? Was she right? actually wearing so, pearls, by the way? Would she? <laughs> listen, uh, pretty much almost. Carol Fry almost was. But like, and having that real conversation, because she also was a white woman who started to realize she didn't have a black daughter. She had a black daughter, right? Like right. understanding that aspect. And so I, I think for you of, is understanding the real, like what's occurring in terms of hair, identity, and those type of things. And also, like I said, they're going to have to say, okay, I want to work for this venture capitalist. I know I have to cut my hair and wear a suit for a year, but what I get from that will allow me to live my authentic yeah, self. I can bounce and do my thing. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I, my, my tattoo went to here and I called it my employment line. I could cover it up. And then I said, you know what? I'm just going to go full sleeve. If they don't hire me, they don't hire me. Like, okay. And so you're going to have to make those kind of thought processes, the idea of like, okay, how bad do I want this job? What can it get me for the future? But we also have to know, Jason, these Gen X, they will quit in a heartbeat, baby. Oh, they got no problem. No, like what? You want me to do They want to come back and live in my condo. That's the other thing. We ain't having that. <laughs> yeah, so I think like they just need to understand that. Are they okay with some people maybe who are the older mindset not hiring them? Are they okay with that? And if they are, do what you're going to do. And it, it's a sucky thing to say, right, that we do have to code switch to figure out jobs. But at this point, right, we're there's still some of the old folks that are making these decisions. I think right. in 15 years, that's not even going to be a question, right? And so what are they willing to give up? What are they willing, you know, to keep themselves? And I think, so thinking about that with just a little bit more intent of what decision, if you, you can get the, the tattoo on your face, like, right. do you? But are you okay with the consequences of it right now? You know, Jen, one of the, uh, whether you're Generation Y, Z, X, it, it doesn't even matter in terms of one of the difficult conversations I know that you may have, whether it's with African-American athletes or uh, Caucasian-Americans, it, it doesn't matter. The, the use of the N-word, whether mm -hmm. it's within context with Black people or it's the conversation that white people try to understand the use and why, why can't I use that? And I know that some of the challenging conversations that you have, how, how do you approach that when you speak to not just the youth, but also to older folks as well? Oh, Kirk, that's a fabulous question. So A, I have a, a e-course called the N-word because right. what I think is that we are not educated on the conversation, the topic of it. You know, white kids white, are just told, don't say it. They're given right. no historical relevance. You just don't say this word. But then they hear in music and they hear black people saying it and they're like, well, you're telling me I can't say it, but I'm hearing all these other people say it. And so the thing I say to that is all language isn't meant for everybody. And we have to understand that. There are words different groups use that are within that group. 
Um, Native Americans have the idea of two spirit. It is not transgender, it is not gay. It is specific to Native American two spirit. That is their word with their context. We try and, okay, well, it means trans. It does not mean that. That is their word. And we have to respect that every word is not meant for everybody, right? Within the LGBT family, they will call each other things that I'm like, whoop, will never cross my mind because that's for them. You remember 15 years ago, if you said the word queer, you were getting popped in the mouth, right? Like that was a hateful insult. Well, guess what? LGBT people said, we are taking that word back. We are going to own it in our way. So they took that word back. Every word is not meant for everybody. The N word, I don't say it, but I am never going to chastise a black person for saying it. This is a way of taking back the word that was used to rape, murder, castrate, whip. I'm not, you know, that is a word that we're taking back ownership. And that's why white people cannot use it. Anyone who is not black, I don't care if you're Latinx, Native, Asian, you cannot use that word because there's a hit a historical violence that we had to endure because of the word. And I think if we taught the real historical aspect of the word and why white people, I don't care if you hear it, you still don't say it, then I think we'll change the idea behind it. But as we see right now with schools, they don't want to teach anything with race. So they will say the word, right, in reading Huck Finn and all that, they'll say it. And now they're not, but they're not giving any historical relevance to it and why, okay, we shouldn't be saying it, but because it's in a book, we're allowed. So now the, the students think they can say it. And so really understanding that every word isn't for everybody. I'm not sure if you have partners or you're married, but if some random guy came up to your partner and was like, hey, baby, you, right? Right. <laughs> that word's for y'all. It's not for everyone because if some guy was like, hey, baby, and he was like, but every word's for everybody. You'd be like, um, nah, bruh. Nah. <laughs> and so we have to understand that when it comes to the N-word, every word is not for everybody. And Black people are taking it back and taking ownership. And the more we understand that different groups can call each other whatever they want, then I think there you don't have to understand, but you have to respect. Yeah. And say, I hear it in music, but they're talking about their experiences and it's very easy. Like people are like, but it's so hard. No, it's not. You are not Busta Rhymes. You are not a rapper. Half the words you can't even say, bruh. So this is a word that you can easily step over with no problem. Yeah. I always challenge folks. There's stuff you say in your house that you would dare me to say. So yeah, take it easy. Take it easy. Uh, GinFriedTalks.com, diversity, equality, inclusion. Uh, listen, I imagine you reach outside the college dynamics, but everybody, is there any other way to get a hold of you? I mean, there's some people that are listening to this now going, how have I not heard this woman in person in my space or virtually in my space as it might have to be in many cases now? Yeah. Uh, is I that mean, the best way to reach you? Jen Fry, if you go to jenfrytalks.com, um, you can get on a call with me. There's booking information, my social media at Jen Fry Talks and everything. Like I tell people, I think I have a Snapchat, but don't be looking at it because I'm not going to be dancing. I, I have a TikTok, <laughs> but it's only to watch videos. I'm doing my dissertation. So I need things to help me procrastinate. And that's yes, what ma'am. TikTok is for, I will admit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've done stuff with NIH, with corporate 500 companies, um, like my, so the, the key thing of my information is that it's very foundational. It applies to everyone because what I tend to see with some speakers is that they make it very industry specific. 
I want my information to hit you over the head and make you think of your family, yourself, your grandma, your grandpa, how you talk to your kids about this, what movies you watch. And so it really is very foundational in the words that we use so that you're starting to think about how does it affect every part of your life, not just maybe the industry you work in. And you come back anytime. I mean, yes. you come back often. We might have to book you once a quarter. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 Let's exactly. have a chat. At the low price of getting you on. <laughs> I appreciate you, friend. I'm so Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. We look forward to talking to you soon. Yep. Happy New Year. Bye, friends. Jim Fry right. with us Thanks, here Jim. on Forward Progress. When we come back, uh, a word about how the Nets uh, governors are advocating for social justice. Looking forward to hearing about that as we come back. It's Morrison. It's Jackson. It's Forward Progress. Hey, this is Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. We're so honored that our Sirius XM podcast, Black Diamonds, has been named Sports Podcast of the Year by Adweek. I've enjoyed sharing the legendary stories of the Negro Leagues and connecting generations with folks like Hall of Famer Ozzie Smith. You learn all about the Black greats that we didn't hear much about. Binge over 20 episodes of Black Diamonds right now on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcast. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Thanks for hanging with us all the way through Forward Progress. It's Jason, it's Kirk, and now we turn our attention uh, to the governors for the Nets and the Liberty, uh, Josai and Clara Wusai. And they have uh, been active with the NBA and the WNBA players push for awareness and uh, advancement of social justice and gender issues. it's interesting because the commissioner recently, uh, Adam Silver, uh, pointed out and noted Joe and Clara taking uh, just a leading step with their family foundation, um, the Reform Alliance and other efforts. Um, they're dedicating themselves to this space. Um, they're working locally through uh, their own social justice fund. And if you take a minute and Google the size, they can impact some things financially. Okay. Yeah, they can. Oh yeah. They, right. got some, they got some coin. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely do. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Wusai has uh, advocated for criminal justice reform um, as a board member with Jay-Z and Meek Mill and other uh, folks within the 76ers organization. Uh, listen, that, that room, let's be honest, that room of governors in any sport. Right. Tend to be a little conservative, right? Mm-hmm. Tends to be the case around the room. I know that there's some progressive thinking around. How do you think this is uh, this is rolling around in leadership in the association? <laughs> um, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, it's always about the bottom line and how does this affect our bottom line uh, a lot of times. But these are obviously the conversations that need to be had. These are the conversations, especially for a community as diverse as Brooklyn is, um, having, you know, the, 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 you know, owners be able to sit down and talk about, Hey, this is what's affecting us. This, this is what we want to be better at. This is what our community needs. So uh, to hell with what y'all got going on. This is what needs to be talked about. It's interesting because that's not even the line that they've drawn. Right. I mean, they, they're deep within their own community as well. Right. Right. Establishing the Asian American Foundation to combat discrimination and prejudice. Quickly, we'll forget, but we're not on this show because this is what we do. Um, the surge of violent attacks yeah. on Asian Americans that truly, mm-hmm. I'm sure, 
impacted the the Psy family in a way of what in the hell is going on? Is going on? I was yeah. really never able to pinpoint the source of the ignorance and fear, right? We always know when people act in that fashion, it's ignorance and fear driving it, but trying to really nail down, like, what is it that you're trying to unearth? What what archaic and arnane thinking are you presenting to kind of go in this direction? I, I don't know if you ever wrapped your head around it. I, I, I couldn't. No, I, I, uh, you know, a little bit, because you mentioned just, you know, for them being, I believe, uh, one of what four minority owners in NBA, yeah, um, and having to understand what what comes with that as well. Um, you mentioned that board of of owners when you go into a room, and a lot of them look a little similar <laughs> uh, to what you uh, look like. And so when you walk in, you say, "Hey, there's also things that go on in my community that a lot of people." look up to us for, for guidance or help, right? That we're not afraid to answer the questions or come to the aid of people who look like me, talk like me, because we're all going through something. And sometimes they don't have a voice. And so maybe we can be that voice. And we do have that reach that maybe a lot of people don't have. So uh, yeah, you you have to, you know, you mentioned just the just. The, the, the violence of Asian Americans, Asian in general, the Asian hate that we saw in 2021 um, and, and, and kind of before, and you were just appalled by it. You say like, how is this still happening like, and, and why? Yeah. And so now to add that into just currently what you have going on, uh, you have to give them a ton of credit for making sure that these issues just aren't something that, you know, you're handing off to the police. It's like you're getting awareness to everyone of how we can get things changed around. And, but, but what more is that not just for what my race looks like, but for all races, how do we fix just the problems that we do have within? After the murder of George Floyd and the shooting of Jacob Blake in 2020, uh, it was evident and clear uh, how impacted NBA and WNBA players were when they spoke out against police brutality and racial inequality. And many of the players wanted to see the league and its team governors support them and, and join this fight. And it's a really cool story that that uh, Garrett Temple tells ESPN um, that players wanted authenticity. And now Garrett, by the way, is a uh, vice president of the Players Association. And, and it's about trying to find values that are aligned. And as we alluded to, and we're kidding a little bit about, and I'll put some detail behind it in a second. Mm-hmm we can't shy away from the fact that these billionaires have resources that really shift things, right? <laughs> if they lean into it, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, they can make stuff happen. So actual things getting done and it not being lip, lip, lip service, Temple noted that he's had many conversations with Clara personally, that she came to him for advice about the best way to attack certain issues. Uh, and listen, the size took controlling interest in the Nets not too long ago. This was August of 2019, but donated $50 million. That's a lot of money. 2020 That's a lot of their money. Their foundation man. to launch the Social Justice Fund. $50 yeah. million. <laughs> what the league? The league did 300, right? Yeah, the league so did 300, but they did 50. They, by themselves. <laughs> 50, uh, which focuses in on helping communities of color. In the Brooklyn Bureau. I mean, like this is that 
I'm looking forward to seeing the tangible rollout of that that stuff. So that's something we need to keep on the radar. Maybe we need to find somebody from the Social Justice Fund to jump on with us. But man, that that could that could shift some lives without a doubt, Kurt. Yeah, well, it shifts a lot of lines because I think it's the awareness of them understanding that this is a real issue. And how do we get this thing started? How do we get it rolling? How do we um, get more people closer? You know, because I think it's a situation, again, they know that they're what, what their voice looks like. You know, a lot of times you you pretend as if, you know, it doesn't truly involve me. I'm at a I'm in a different sector. Right. Like I'm I'm up here, you know, in terms of the class system. So it doesn't really affect me. And then you realize, no, it does affect me. It actually affects us all because we're all extensions of each other, right? Just as much as you're my brother, I'm your brother from afar. And so I think that when you understand that you have the resources like to do, it's how do you handle them? How do you use them? Well, use them the right way. And how do you engage? And they have been engaging in just a short period of time. Like you mentioned that they've become, that they've become controlling uh, partners of the Nets. They've really stood out. And I'm glad it's being highlighted too, because you know, let's be honest, the story we talk about the Nets has been about vaccines and mandates because of Kyrie Irving. So this is actually probably the first story that I've read about the Brooklyn Nets that didn't involve about a vaccine or a mandate or Kyrie Irving. So just kind of put things in perspective when we talk about organizations and, you know, what about the players? Well, there's a lot of people I know that you're aware of uh, with the Miami Heat that, you know, I'm around with the, with the Rams, that there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes that we don't talk about or we don't see enough about because right. it's always about the play on the court, the play on the field. But there is a lot of people who are handling, you know, I, I know you get the emails just like I do every day. Hey, today we're going to be doing this initiative and we're going here and you're like, wow. Okay. And then the next day it's a it's something else. So there's a lot of good people who are doing good work behind the scenes that I, I'm glad that this particular situation or this particular initiative is really being highlighted from the Brooklyn Nets just because of so much that we don't think about is actually really happening and going on. And and we should note that this isn't just to call them rich. It seems like I'm not even touching <laughs> generationally wealthy human beings aren't just throwing money at this stuff. Yes. Um, Joe Sy, I'll tell you this story. I, you may have heard it. I mean, I'm, it easily could have gotten by some of our listeners that, um, not quite two years ago, mm-hmm. um, what Josiah was on a jog, um, and, and he noticed this truck was following him and he saw the driver and the passenger both staring at him in the rearview mirror. That's how close they were. And he, he never, he said he never felt physically threatened, um, in the U S until that moment. He's been here since he was 13. I think he's in his late fifties. And, you know, with coronavirus spreading uh, and all of the discrimination against Asians in that ignorant ass connection right? Uh, growing, um, he's like, man, should I just bust out? Like, am I supposed to run right now home? Or, you know, what, what could happen? Are they just going to yell something at me? They're going to spit on me? Like, he's processing. I mean, this man's on a jog right. in America's most beautiful city, as they like to call themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, man, wait a minute, right? Like, I need to really think about what's about to happen here. These folks could be carrying guns. Uh, they could attack me. He said he ran back home. The truck didn't follow him. But but this powerful 
titan of industry could not shake that feeling. It's human. Yeah. That's that human aspect we talk about. That Because before, you know, sometimes you feel like I'm exempt. Um, I, it does, I don't fall in that category. And then very quickly you realize, you realize, oh, no, I'm in this just as much as the next man. And so I think now when you sit back and you think of uh, ways in order to how can we improve just the morale behind just a lot of the, just the, the diversity, the um, uh, I would say the um, the inclusion of all races involved when it comes to the infrastructure of understanding, right? You know, because there's a lot that people don't know. And so now when you have these resources to really outsource and help out and be a part of and be at the front of it, because that's definitely what they've been doing. I think that's a great voice and a great liaison for a lot of people to feel like it's not just about the NBA. It's about the structure of these communities and how do we invest in our own and start to branch out. I hope this is a, a trigger. You know, I, you can only have your personal experiences. And, Correct. You know, the sides aren't going to make that everybody's experience uh, within the leadership of the National Basketball Association. But like you said, I'm glad that this story has moved to the forefront. So many of the social responsibility departments are, are doing things, like you said, every single day on top of projecting for, okay, who do we want to impact on MLK right. Day? What are we doing for Black History Month? These conversations are just constantly churning, not just for NBA teams, but teams throughout professional sports and college sports. Uh, it, it's just great that it's commonplace. And it wasn't something that was just going to stay within a moment. We're two years away, removed from most of the energy, but now we're moving into that second year. And, but but this is now the culture mm. of these leagues and teams. That was the one thing we kind of had our side eye on, <laughs> side eye on, I should say, um, at the time of initiation. Will this sustain? Yeah. Well, and then not only will it sustain, but how do you keep the growth, right? Because it also extends into um, helping educate voters, you know, voter education, voting laws that we see continuously, they're changing. Are they changing for the better or for the worse or for it to help out a certain demographic of people or a demographic of uh, elected officials? So not only do you have that, but then you also just have, I think, just a social justice component of understanding how do we fix it? How do we get better educated at it and have a better understanding of it altogether? My man, we're back. We're better than ever. And I can't wait to do it again. It's great <laughs> to see you again. Happy New Year. And uh, special thanks to Jen Fry for swinging by. And uh, I, we demand it, Purnell. All right. Once yes. a quarter. Give us <laughs> that energy. Absolutely. Come by. She hopefully won't charge us five grand a pop. I saw that number. <laughs> Boy, that's something else. I knew I'm in the wrong business. Yes, indeed. Morrison, yes, let's indeed. get to it. You get about uh, five six of them a year. Uh, <laughs> it's great to be back in motion. And having these great conversations for our producer, Pernell Brown. That's Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. We'll talk to you next time.